The following message is from Pastor Lester Cruzat of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found at emmanuelcommunity.org. Yeah, I, I don't want to talk about a loss that maybe has to do with a hard day right. or a physical injury. Um, and then, by the way, um, yes, continue to pray for our Pastor Steve, lead pastor. He did tear his Achilles, if you did not get the email, um, playing pickleball. Ugh. Who knew it was such a dangerous sport? <laughs> um, you were joking. You are like, how are you going to stand up and preach? We're like, oh, maybe he'll have a stool up here. And I was like, oh, wow, we're getting so progressive. It'll be like sitting on a stool up here preaching. Um, yeah, um, I'm not talking about that kind of loss either, of losing the ability uh, to play a sport that you love. Um, I'm not talking about normal daily losses. Um, what I do want to talk about today is um, a loss that, that can rearrange your world, that can um, make you feel uh, helpless, um, where everything around you uh, seems to be crashing down seemingly endlessly. I want to talk about um, the grief experienced when you lose a loved one. Okay. And um, this, is, this is heavy on my own heart because I'm still, I feel like I'm still going through a time of grieving for myself. And so this has been a really, really difficult uh, sermon to prepare. Um, so I invite you as I... Um, speak on this topic to uh, pray with me um, because uh, our deepest griefs come from just not losing something. It's from losing someone, whether it's a spouse, a child, um, grandfather, grandmother, unborn child, um, someone you've cherished. It's a, it's a grief beyond grief, a grief beyond normal grief. So please come alongside me and, and let's pray together and then I'll ask the Lord to speak to us. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just um, just uh, we, we humbly come before you and we we cry out for your your strength. Um, we cry out for your presence to be amongst us and help us to hear what you want us to hear, uh, even through the pain. We love you in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, my uncle, my uncle, uh, who lived with his family in the house right beside uh, our family. Uh, growing up in Albany Park. Uh, just a couple of months ago, he was diagnosed um, with stage four lung cancer. Uh, the doctors found the cancer too late. It disguised, it, it disguised itself actually as pneumonia. And, um, and upon the diagnosis, they gave him about four months to live. And so after some time in the hospital, he, he then was released to go home to live out his final months uh, I visited him at his place um, on December 23rd, and his bed was in the living room, and there was like tubes and tanks of oxygen um, there. But it was great. He, he was comfortable. Uh, he looked happy. He looked good. Um, just a month later, I received word of his passing, and I found myself at first like feeling this weird lump in my throat. 
And then I started moving unsteadily. And all of a sudden, I find myself collapsed on the floor, uh, feeling this uh, deep emotion of emptiness. Uh, there's no uh, order to grief, as I realized. Um, in the following weeks to come, I found, I found what deep grief was all about. It was like, what it could feel like. It was hard even getting the most simplest of tasks done. Everything felt so heavy. Everything felt so weighted and dark. Uh, pain, was, pain seemed like it was everywhere. I um, found myself in one moment feeling like, oh, maybe things are getting better, and the next moment I'm like weeping. Um, anger was another strong emotion that was coming out. Uh, there's a lot of movies out there uh, talking about this, uh, this multiverse jumping from dimension to dimension when I felt like I just was sucked into a new dimension, a brand new world of learning what it means to live without this person. It, was, uh, it, it really did feel like falling in a pit of endless uh, despair and emptiness. You see, grief doesn't it doesn't wait for you. It doesn't, um, it doesn't care what you know. Um, it doesn't care how experienced you are or how smart or capable you are. You can't prepare for it. Right? You can't predict how it's going to play out in your life. And I've, I've only seen, before this, I've only seen people go through deep grief. Um, but now, going through it, I, I would have never imagined it would be like this. And I don't think I'm just speaking for myself. I think I'm speaking for many of you here who have or, have, or are currently going through this grief as well. And then as I go through this, this chaos called grief, as I've seen others agonizing their grief and the sum of all the chaos that it brings, there really is this like really strong conviction, this huge conviction, this almost anger that death, death itself is not a friend. Right? No matter how beautiful or noble or purposeful death can be portrayed, it's, it's not a part of God's plan. It's not a part of his good creation. We can't fall for this old age, the old age slogans and the media and the entertainment's portrayal of death as it's a part of life. Right? It's natural. It's an essential part of uh, It's just how reality is. No, we're, we're to reject such a worldview because death, death is a byproduct. Death is a byproduct of sin entering into our world. It's the punishment from sin. And to accept death is to accept sin and to say that sin is a normal part of God's creation. It's not. It's not. Death is not natural. It's not a normal part. It's not a normal cycle of life. Listen, it's totally encouraged to accept someone's death. It's part of, I think it's, it's a big part of grieving. You have to accept that someone died. But to accept death itself, that's not what we're called to. Why do we weep even when we have the security of knowing that a Christian loved one is better, is better off with Jesus for eternity? Why do we weep? Right? It's because death took them away from us. Right? The body I knew is now being laid in the ground. 
and covered in dirt, and I won't have the physical body around me, their presence. I won't be able to kiss them anymore or hug them. I will no longer feel their embrace. I will no longer be able to sit with them. I feel a part of, it just feels like a part of me is missing. It breaks our hearts that they are gone because of what? Death. Death is an intruder, an alien, a completely anti-natural, anti-good, anti-God. Death is separation, and separation is devastating. In John 11, when uh, Jesus goes to visit his good friends who um, have lost their brother, who was also his good friend, Lazarus, John 11, 33 to 35, it says this, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Man, we were so quick, right, to, um, as Jesus is fully man and fully God, we, we quickly jumped to his, his sovereignty and his power and his, his divine attributes of like, well, he knew. He knew he was able to raise the dead and have all this power. And we skim over that, and, and then we, we sometimes interpret, he, Jesus wept because he was so disappointed in his friends, Martha and Mary, because they didn't have faith that he could, rise, that he could raise Lazarus. That was not why. I don't believe that. I believe that when... John wrote, verse 35, Jesus wept. He wanted to let us sit, just sit there with the, with, the, with the shortest verse in the Bible and just meditate and picture that, that Jesus in his humanity wept. In his sorrow, he was broken through and through, empty, because his friend Lazarus died. It goes on, John eleven thirty eight. then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. This Greek word of deeply moved means, it means indignation, right? Snorted in anger. <laughs> you might be like, what is he angry about? I, be- I believe he was angry about death, right? Death. He was angry at the enemy of death. 1 Corinthians 15, 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is what? Death. When someone is grieving, right? The, every, every fiber just yells and, and then aches. And for me, it's just yelling this, this death is not a friend. Right? Death is not a friend. It's not supposed to be like this. Death is an enemy, if anything. When it comes to grief, uh, it is largely mishandled and misunderstood by the culture at large. It's not defined or handled uh, with care appropriately many times. Uh, There's a widespread pandemic of what health and social experts would say is um, grief illiteracy. Okay, grief illiteracy. There are health professionals out there who diagnose grief as a sort of disorder. Grief is believed to be, um, to be thought of as a short-term difficult situation. It's to be resolved in a couple of weeks. Right? Escape grief as, much as, pos- as quickly as possible to be happy so you can get back to your normal life. Right? The goal becomes healing from grief, getting out of grief. And if you find yourself stuck, you're, f- you're just failing at grief. And if you're not finding deep blessings embedded in grief, then you're doing it all wrong. 
You might have heard about the five stages of grief, right? Five stages of grief, and um, the founder and writer of this um, is, is a person by the name of Kubler-Ross. And here's a picture of it, right? It's denial, anger, bargaining, depression. And um, she, uh, this person just regretted writing these stages the way that she did. The five stages, she says, were meant to validate one's experience among the barrage of emotional chaos that comes with loss and death. It was never meant to tell you whether you were correctly grieving or not. In reality, there are no stages to grief, right? There is no neat or ordered progression to it. It's just, again, it's a mess. There's no timeline there. I mean, the next slide, will just, it'll show you, like, that's, here's, here's that, and then that's what it actually feels like. That's what you actually experience. It's like this bowl of noodles, okay? You jump from one thing to another, and you just don't know when it's going to happen. Grief is not something to fix. It's not about getting out of pain or to transform the grief into something beautiful. Grief is not something to be corrected or even judged. I mean, I've used these phrases too. You might have. And even of the best intentions, right, of trying to help someone through their grief. But, but statements like, find the good in it. Right? Or, you know, there's a reason this happened. Or another one, you're, you're stronger. You're stronger from this. Or he or she uh, wouldn't want you to be sad like this. Right? Again, these statements with the best of intentions, right? but could be interpreted by the griever as like so insensitive. Right? For the griever, it could be, they, they could feel irritated or insulted by such statements. Right? And thus we have People trying to comfort them in their grief on this end, and then grievers right, feeling more and more lonely on this end, and then all of a sudden you have this growing divide of not knowing really how to really minister or care for someone who's grieving. What is grief then? Right? What is grief? What is the bare bones like definition of grief? Because maybe if we get that right, maybe it would be helpful for all of us, right? To start a better caring for those who are grieving. John 11, 33, 35, going back again, right? Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. And then the following verse, verse 36, so the Jews said, see how he loved him. See how he loved him. Jesus wept because he loved Lazarus, and Lazarus was taken away from him and his close friends. Grief is a right and proper response, natural response to the loss of a loved one. That's what grief is. Totally natural, totally appropriate. One author put it this way, grief is a part of love, love for life, love for self, love for others. What you are living, painful as it is, is love, and love is really hard, excruciating at times. You grieve because you love. But sadly, right, this, this definition gets lost, becomes something to cure, something to fix, and the gap usually widens between the griever and the loved ones trying to make it better. Okay. Who can really break through that, right? How can you really find someone to hold you in your pain when misunderstanding and, and constantly missing one another happens so often? You feel like no one can understand you. 
in your grief. And you yearn for people who can. And as much as the culture gets it wrong, as much as we can find ourselves saying the wrong things at the wrong times, even with the best of intentions, the Holy Spirit-filled community finds a way to speak words of hope and life in what can feel like a lifetime sentence of solidarity, of solitary confinement. Where even for a brief moment, words from those that love Jesus and love you unlock you from the cage of loneliness where you can find a chance to catch your breath in your immense immersion of grief. The prayer, the words, and embrace that I received from certain individuals is unexplainable. They weren't trying to move me into a place or another dimension of comfort, but affirmation of the pain and giving a heartfelt encounter with God's heart for my pain through their words. Pastor Steve preached the message on prayer and community, and the basic, the, the, the core idea of that message was when you pray for someone, you can give the heart, words, and care of Jesus to that hurting individual. You can actually give the heart and words of Jesus to that person. I think we can have the courage, right, and maybe take a risk to pray for someone who is grieving. Ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you with Jesus' heart and wisdom for their grief. Don't underestimate the love-filled words from God's own heart to flow through you to bring a resting of God's presence upon the individual who is grieving. With sensitive Holy Spirit-led wisdom, I've had God's people love me well in my despair. Uh, I took the loss of my uncle so deeply because a large part of it was because of what he was to me as a child. He was a neighbor, so our driveways were right by each other. Coming Coming out to play, I would see him almost every day. Um, in, in his driveway, working his car or motorcycle. And without fail, he would come over and give me the tightest hug, and he would say, hello, son, and then ask me, how are you doing? He was funny. He was a great jokester. And he had the most distinct laugh. But what struck my heart so deeply was that he was always an advocate for me and my brother. He was always an advocate for our well-being. He always wanted the best for us. He wanted us to be taken care of. My uncle was a safe place for me when at times my home couldn't be. My uncle was literally a father figure to me. And him calling me son, it was like he was adopting me as one of his own, even if it was just for a moment. When I lost him, I crumbled in despair because he encapsulated everything a child needs to be seen, to be heard, to be cared for, and protected. He was my safe place growing up. 
person who had the heart and words of God wrote this to me in my grief. Sorry again about the loss of your friend's father and your close father figure. It struck me as pretty amazing the impact we can have on a child student's life simply by creating a safe place for someone. I think that you do that well. I'm so thankful to this man that his legacy lives in that way through you. If you've ever encountered any sense of tenderness or warmth or care, I can't take any credit for that because it was him that showed me what that was like. As a child, God gifted me with him, and may he live on whenever that warmth is experienced by another through me. I'm so thankful for the brothers and sisters whose spirit-filled words gave me a momentary encounter of God's view and heart for my grief. Praise God for the community of believers. Praise God for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And praise God how he uses God's people to bring solace and comfort in the midst of pain. So though community is important, right? it's a vital part of going through grief. It's not the only component grief calls for. The community cannot travel the road that you're traveling 24-7. That's the reality of it. No one can face what you're facing. No one, the brutal truth is no one can 100% understand what you're going through. Your grief is as distinct as the uniqueness of our fingerprints. And the people around you cannot provide for you the presence and words you need. What are you left with? How do you deal with grief? How do you survive it now? And the reality is there, there is no rushing through it or covering it up or distracting yourself from it. Right? Once in a while, you do need to breathe. Right? Some of the ways that I try to get out of it and just take a breath or take a break was just kind of you know, scroll and find some funny videos. Right? And that's fine. You need breaks from it. But if that's the pattern, right, if you're constantly trying to distract yourself of avoid, right, prevent from yourself going through this journey of grief, so many wrong things can happen, right? You get chronic stress, negative effects on relationships can occur because you may find it difficult in expressing your emotions, like prolonged, unresolved feelings of resentment, yearning, or guilt. The list goes on and on when you don't go through this journey of grief. So what do you do? You know, what's the answer? Grief is not something to move on from. It's something that you carry with you. Right? For some odd reason, the way that grief works, the way that grief works is that you don't avoid it, you don't skip it, you don't try to, you don't to medicate it. Right? You got to go in it. <laughs> you got to immerse yourself in it. You got to be covered in it. Man, I, um, I don't know, just really quick, I was baptized three times. You're like, what? What happened to you? Like, yeah, I, I was baptized three times, all right? And um, I, was, I was baptized first as a Catholic, and then I was baptized at my college campus, was Presbyterian, so that my, 
my birth, my, my, uh, my infant baptism should have been good there, so that was a mistake. And then I was baptized a third time in a Southern Baptist church. And um, if, you know, if you don't know, Southern Baptist, in Southern Baptist, you have, to fully, you have to be fully immersed during baptism for it to be legit, okay? I'm like, okay, I'll do it because I want, I want, to, I want to be edifying. I want to be encouragement to this church. And so, so, um, but they had, uh, so they were going to baptize me at this retreat. Everyone was like standing around. And um, then they had this official from the SBC just watching to making sure it was done correctly. <laughs> and so... Um, the pastor that was dunking me, um, he, and this was like, this wasn't too long ago. It was like five years ago. And so like he was dunking me and he wanted to make sure to get it right. So he just kept pushing down <laughs> on me. And my, um, for some reason my chest kept, didn't want to, just kept on floating back up. So he just kept on pushing down. And I just felt like, what are you doing? You're drowning me, <laughs> right? You're drowning me. And finally came up, breath for sure. I was like, wow, that was horrible. I was baptized three times, but that sensation of drowning, oh my goodness, I got to do that. That's what it's like to actually go through this journey of grieving, right? I got to do that. I have to immerse myself. I have to cover myself to, I have to actually get into the belly of the beast to actually journey in this grief. Is there anything different, anything distinct of a Christian grieving versus a non-Christian? What makes the people of God different in their grieving? And Pastor Peter and John Noto, they, they shared this, um, they, they shared about this. They, they preached about this. It's online. Right? It's called lament, right? Lament. Lament is the way in which the Christian grieves. Uh, Mark Vogrop, in his book, Dark Clouds, says this, lament is the song we sing in the space between pain and promise. It becomes the path between the poles of a hard life and trusting God's goodness. Lament helps us embrace two truths at the same time. Hard is hard. Hard is not bad. To cry is human, but to lament is Christian. I just want to highlight something that John Noto pointed out was just these elements of, of, of lament. Right? This address, complaint, request, and trust. And in slides 17 to 18, um, the next slide, I have an example of what that is from Scripture. Matthew 26, 36 to 45, Jesus is just talking about uh, his prayer at Gethsemane. Right? He's praying in Gethsemane. He's saying, here's the address, my father. Here's the complaint. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Request, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me and trust, yet not as I will, but as you will. This is kind of the, the components of, of, of lament. And it's true. These are the components of it. But I'll tell you that in my grief, like, you saw what, the, what the, the picture of five griefs chart looked like in reality, right? And so does, so does this. Like, in the, in the, when, you think of, when you think of lament, I, when I was taught it, I was like, oh, that looks pretty ordered. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, I could do that. But in grief, man, one day, one day I'm like crying out, if, when I can, outside my pain is God, right? And maybe it takes two days later saying, like, this hurts, right? And then maybe, maybe a week later even, maybe even some kind of request pumps out. But the one element of this, um, this thing called lament that I didn't understand was trust. Like, how do, you jump from, how do you jump from address, God, Father, right? How do you get to, to and then complaint, like, this hurts? Right? To, 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 to request, Lord, I, I, I so badly want this person back. 
please take away my pain, to, to trust. Like, I didn't understand that. How do you get to trust after those three components? How do you get to trust in your pain? I didn't get that. I didn't understand that. So I, I wonder, right? I wonder in the mess of all that is grief, in the mess of all that is lament, like how do you get to trust? And I'm wondering if it's something like this, okay? So like during, during my years as a high school teacher in my 20s, me and a good friend were driving from Chicago to Champaign, and we were actually coming from a wedding, right? And we were on 57 going south. I was looking through some pictures taken that I took on my phone on the wedding, and, and I, showed, I showed my friend who was driving. He looked over, and uh, he, he, um, he was veering off uh, the road a little bit. But he overcompensated. And all of a sudden, we started spinning uncontrollably. Okay? We just kept spinning and spinning. I was, just wait, like, I was just waiting to get hit by a car or a barricade at that point. Like when they tell you, you see, you know, in near-death situations, you see your life flash before your eyes. I literally, I think I saw my, la my life flash before my eyes. All of my loved ones, every significant event in my life just went poof right for that second. It was like, it was like in the movies when um, as we were spinning, we were quiet. But then we didn't start screaming until we looked at each other. And then we faced forward and we started screaming, right? It was like, it was like. You know, looking forward in shock of what's going on. We look at each other and we're like, ah, and we like look forward, right? And then we're just spinning, we're spinning, we're spinning in a complete panic. We end up on the other side of the highway, 57 going northbound. So we cross the median and we're in a bush. And so we're panting and we're just like, what? What happened? What's going on? Are you okay? Are you okay? So then, and we, we get out to assess the damage. There's like two, two tires that are blown. Right. Nothing, no, nothing big. We just, we're, we're in this ditch next to a bush. We're like, oh, thank God we're okay. All right, let's go ask for help. Okay, so we start calling for help. And as we're calling for help, we hear this noise. We look across on 57 North where we used to be, and this van just flies into the ditch on the other side. And we're like, what happened? What's going on? So I'm like, what the? And so I run across. We're going across that highway. I run across that median. I run across that other highway. And I, I look, and this, this van is, is um, the hood. It's, it's, there's a small fire in it, right? And it's starting to smoke. And I'm like, oh, man, like, I'm getting, starting to get these daydreams. I'm like, oh, man, should I? My imagination goes nuts. Like, am I going to be able to, am I going to save somebody? I, do I have to be pulling him out from this? And the flames seem to get bigger and bigger. And then, you know, um, praise God, he, like, he comes out. And he's just dazed and confused, right? I look at him like, oh, man, this guy fell asleep at the wheel. Right? He's all dazed and confused, like, what's going on? What's going on? He looks at me, and then he stares at me really strangely. And I think you would, too, because we're in the middle of nowhere. There's this Filipino guy in a suit, right? And he's like, and he asked me, like, what happened and what are you doing here? You know, kind of thing. I, I had the notion, or, like, you know, I would joke around looking back. I'm like, man, I should have told him, I'm an angel. <laughs> and I saved you, and now accept Lord and Jesus, and all that and stuff. Um, so, like, so he's 
you know, and then all of a sudden the, the van starts, now it's getting engulfed in flames. So I'm like, dude, I've seen this in movies. I think it's going to explode. So we move over a little bit. And, so I, and I run back across the road. My friend's like, what happened? I'm like, this guy just flew across the road and, and he crashed and all that. And it's like, oh my gosh, we got into an accident. They got into an accident. You know, ambulance, the ambulance came, the fire truck came. And they were, they were just asking, like, how did these two things happen, you know? And we were trying to explain to them that we got an accident over here, but he got an accident over there. And it was just nuts. It was chaotic. It was, it was crazy. Uh, we, we got home uh, with the help of a tow truck and some friends. But the next day, the next day, uh, me and my friend, who went through all that, right, we couldn't. We couldn't help but to spend time together. We couldn't help but to be with each other the whole time, right? We couldn't help but to just want each other's company, right? We would, uh, we would, we would, we would sit in a cafe and we just like, and we would just like really be really close, right? And, and then trying to get our work done. For some reason, there was just comfort in that because there was comfort in that because there was just mutual understanding, right? There's a mutual um, going through something, right? A mutual suffering together. That occurred. I'm wondering if trust is like that. I'm wondering if companionship has an element of building trust. You see, when I was going through the stuff, as I still am, there's been a lot of dark moments. There's been a lot of silent moments. Right? If there's anything I want to testify to, it's like, man, like going through this grief stuff, it's lonely, it's dark, and you don't hear much. I feel like I didn't even hear much from God, okay? It was quiet. But I would say this, like, and I'm not trying to, to feed ammo into, into a sermon or anything like that, but this is what actually happened, right? I'm in my pain, in my grief. And I, don't, I think this happened not because I'm a pastor, not because I'm something, like, I have this holy, I'm, I'm like, I have an MDiv degree or anything like that. I, I don't think I'm anything special, but during the, 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 the darkest points of, of that grief, in the darkness of that silence, all of a sudden, like, I kid you not, I saw a clear view of the cross. I saw a clear view of Jesus on the cross, and I felt like through that image, through that vision in my pain, God was saying, yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. I, I know, I know your pain. A father lost a son, and a son lost a father. I get it. And that what was being birthed through even that glimpse of the cross was, oh my gosh, you're with me. You're with me in this. And that was everything. That was companionship. The greatest gift to a griever is companionship. And that's where trust can grow. Whether we feel it or not in our deepest pain, God says, I am there. Man, our church's name is Emmanuel, right? God with us. May the name of our church be more than just the name of our church. May it be a reality for all of us that God is with us. Amazing. It's been a crazy, it's been a crazy journey, but the anchor of faith that lies with him what was done to Jesus on the cross says it all, that he is with us, that he is with us. So just to close, just to close, right? In our grief, right, 
every fiber of our being yells that death is not right. In our grief, we are gifted with a community of believers that can speak life and love in the darkest of situations, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And in our grief, in our grief, we have God in our lament. We have the living God that proclaims that I am with you, and I've shown that to you through the cross. Jesus, he wept his whole life. He wept his whole life. He wept on the cross so that he could weep with us. Let's pray.